November 1963, the first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast. Little did people know that on that evening, a television legend was born. And now, 50 years and 11 Doctors later, Doctor Who will celebrate its half-century in November 2013. And already, social media, bloggers, forums and podcasters have already begun those celebrations. But why has this show survived, and how has a little British sci-fi show about a man who travels through time and space in a battered blue police box, once famous for its wobbly sets, cheap special effects, and occasionally hammy acting, become the global sensation that it is today? In an occasional series of interviews, I'll be talking to fans, bloggers and podcasters, and try to find out what they love and hate about the show, what their favourite memories are, and ask why has this show about a madman in a box survived for so long. My guest this week is Ian Todd from the very excellent Mondas podcast. Hello, Ian. Hello, are you well? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, Thanks very much for joining us. No problem, I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, obviously we're here to discuss all things Doctor Who. Mm. Um, So, obviously... The big question I start off everybody: um, Why Doctor Who? How did you get into it? Um, I I think like a lot of people, I obviously was recommended by maybe one of my parents. I think because when I when I was say five or six, I started watching it, and I can still remember uh, waiting for Wogan to finish. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was around the time of uh, Remembrance of Daleks, around that sort of time. I def- definitely, like, really remember Remembrance. And maybe it's as early as Dragonfire. I can't really remember. But, mm. yeah, I remember the kind of anniversary sort of time. And then I just got interested in it. And then I started to go to um, Forbidden Planet in Newcastle. And it started building from there. And no one else I knew really liked it as well. So it was very much a solo pursuit. I don't really know why I was interested in it but it, I started getting the VHSs and it all started building from there really Right so I mean, you said like the first one you saw was McCoy so would it be fair mm. to say he was your doctor? Or is oh your without doctor? a doubt yeah without yeah. a doubt I mean you know I, I obviously have other other favourites but you, you can't help but like you know you, you always love um, Ace and, and McCoy because you know they're the ones that you fondly remember especially if you if you watch it when you're a child you're more you're more scared and stuff like that. The, you have a lot of kind of nostalgia, I suppose, for it, don't you? You do indeed. You certainly mm. do. I mean, what was it um, about the McCoy in particular that sort of made you? Because obviously, at that hooked you in. Mm. What was it about McCoy's portrayal in particular that sort of made you sort of stick with it? Because he comes in for a lot of flack. He, he's they always say he's the he's the doctor responsible for its cancellation. Nobody wanted to watch McCoy. He was an awful doctor, and he always comes top of the polls of. Um, when they're voting for people's worst doctor. So what was it about him that you like? 
Well, obviously, with being being me first, obviously that's that's always going to be uh, a bias there anyway. But I, I think um, I just like the dynamic of of the the darkness there. I, I like that that sort of element of you're not quite. He he seems to know what's happening, you know, when he's playing games of chess and stuff like that. And he's also put an ace in situations where it's testing her, and he's almost kind of like a mentor to her, kind of pushing into things. And he's kind of very manipulative. And I think that it's an interesting. Patria, I mean, don't get us wrong, the, the early season was very poor. I'm not a fan of time in the Rani, etc. I don't know who uh, it is, actually. But. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can, there's some people go, well, oh, I quite like that because it's quite campy and stuff and quite amusing. But that wasn't. It was, you know, Paradise Towers and stuff like that. And, and um, what's Delta and the Bannerman? Nah. You know, but once you start getting the Carmel's influence and stuff starting to come through, there's some, I mean, Curse of Fenric was always my favourite as, as a child. And, and I, I still really love it now um because I, I love horror so for me that kind of tapped in as a child watching curse of fenric it fascinated us i think it was one of the first vhs i ever got as well so what about things like ghost like because that's always sort of classed as one of the classics from mccoy's era but also be i mean i would see to the casual viewer a, a quite impenetrable story it's a mess. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan, to be honest with you. I, I, I quite, I, you know, I quite enjoy it and all that watching it, but I have no clue what's happening. And it, you know, as a lot of people said, it looks good. It does, and they do that sort of era very well. But it is a three part. I think maybe as if it'd been a four part, it might have made a bit more sense. Maybe fleshed out a bit more. But um, in terms of that era, I think Curse Fenwick's brilliant. I, I enjoy Battlefield as well. I think Survival, as much as the cat sort of people are bad. Mm. Um, the actual story and the actual look of the world and all that is is brilliant. Um, I think I think that's really good. But yeah, I know what you mean by ghost light. It's um, if if you were you know a lot of people whinge to me about coming into the, the new episodes and saying it, they don't really understand what's happening. But with ghost light, you have to have a lot of understanding of what's happened with Ace's background. And then you also have to work out what the hell is happening in the story generally, exactly. which is a bit of a mess. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a bit strange. And but but I think there's, there's, it, I suppose it was a kind of precursor to the new series because there was an arc going through it with the whole Ace character and stuff, and um, helping her and stuff. And the Doctor also meeting people from from his past who which we hadn't seen before, um, like Fenric and stuff like that. You know, so it was it was interesting. You know. I was interested you say what um you said about the the look of survival you know about the uh, the the cat people's planet and everything mm. how do you th- sort of like view sort of like the the effects on those days how do you feel they sort of um sort of hold up now especially from sort of the eighties where they were they were trying new things to sort of try and improve on the old i mean they still had old rubber monsters and stuff if you i mean, mm. I mean Tom and the Rani's a good um a good example because the the uh, the bat people look like bungle out of rainbow. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of the tetraps. I remember, nah. remember watching Dimensions in Time, and because obviously I was excited at the time because it was the first new Doctor Who for ages, and, and I was like, "Is that a te- tetrap hanging out of a window?" <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't want to see them again, but you know. Um, to be honest with you, when when um, it came back with Trial of Time Lord, the original kind of the the TARDIS effect and all that, um, and it looked really good, and you were thinking, "Oh, fantastic!" You know, and and with when the Time and the Rani, there was some nice effects in that. But I think I think I really really like the the effects in that sort of era because I don't think when it when it was later on it was a bit darker I don't think there went like lots of kind of bad sort of costumes and stuff like, apart from the cast people I think there's some nice stuff and when the um, 
I mean, yeah, the the sort of a nemesis when the when the um, spaceships come down stuff is a bit ropey. Um but it's you know I I think I think when you when you watch them now with the special added effects onto them, um, I quite like that when they do the kind of the CGI effects and stuff like Curse of Fenric and stuff. Um, it adds a little bit to it, doesn't it? It does. I would say they don't really sort of take you out of the story too much. They don't be no. try and be too flashy with it. I mean, is there any sort of particular stories that you would like to see them, um, apart from ones I've already done? Um, is there anything Ooh. else you'd you like to see um, sort of updated effects on? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, wow. Uh, I've never thought of that. That's an interesting question because I've, I've, I've always kind of thought. Um, are you talking in, in terms of Sylvester McCoy or just generally? Generally, really. Generally. Oh, sheesh. Um, Zygons would be interesting. Maybe it's if um, Terror of the Zygons, I don't know, just comes straight in my head there. Maybe it's like the, when it was going along the Thames and stuff, kind of soup that up in some way. Oh, the uh, the Scarrison. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and I think just generally when when they're kind of slightly uh, when they've got someone getting hit in space like from like a laser bolt or something, there's always that kind of it looks a bit ropey, especially in the kind of per tweet on big era. Because I know I think it was Destiny of the Daleks. I think they might have done some effects on that, like CGI effects, and it looked quite nice. Awful story, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, com- I will completely agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, I, I like the Daleks and all that, but really, like, I think Remembrance was a good, good thing to come into in terms of Daleks because um, before that, it was getting just a bit of a nonsense, really. You know, I mean, I, I, I enjoy Resurrection just because of its sheer bloodshed, and I like the the, <laughs> the Docklands as well in terms of where it's filmed and stuff. I think it's quite interesting. Um, but it, yeah, it, in in terms of other ones, I think in terms of first McCoy years especially, I don't think there's any ones that really stand out. I think I think Battlefields. As, do you know if Battlefields had um, CGI effects? I can't remember. I don't think it has. Not to no, my knowledge. No, the effects no. are not bad really on that. Really, um, yeah. Oh well, I'll have to have to have a, a proper think about that. Think about that, that one. It's, <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, obviously, Five Doctors. I've seen that when when um, they added little effects to that, and a lot of people are a bit. Ooh, you, you can't change the the bubble thing they captured in. You know. Um, people are really like annoyed by that, you know. The, <laughs> um, and it's it, you know things like that are, are minimal, really, at the end of the day. But I suppose there's certain certain effects that are a bit ropey. I mean, I watched Close of Axos uh, yesterday, and and I kind of like the kind of the ropiness of kind of them getting pulled by this kind of really bad sort of um, I don't know what you would describe it as, but but slightly slightly ropey sort of effects and stuff. I, I think I think that's why possibly most people like the classic series anyway. Isn't it? Yeah, I think they do have a sort of um, certain charm to mm. the effects. I mean, I've, I mean, I personally love Claws of Axos. Um, mm. You know, I think I think it's a great story. I, I just love the the concept of a a living, breathing ship. The ship was alive. It was sort of pulsated when you saw it in space. I, I think for its time, it's a great concept. Mm. Um, do you sort of I think sort of back in the day as you've gone on and watched more Doctor Who, um, sort of like from past years, sort of like the the Bakers, the Pertwees, Troutons, and, and Hartnells. Do you sort of think there's any sort of particular things that actually stood out as sort of possibly sort of being a little bit ahead of their time, story wise? Um, I would say so. Yeah, I would, I would say like um, there's always people. I mean, obviously, um, when I've been um, reading up on stuff, and especially as another podcast called um, the Writers Room which is a good mm. podcast, which is all about um, 
the writers and stuff and, and, and why they wrote certain things and what they kind of take on stuff. I mean, everyone knows about like um, Robert Holmes was a brilliant writer and stuff and he's double acts and stuff like that. But yeah. there's, um, there's a lot of people who have actually got, um, I think it was, yeah, it was Barry Letts who had his Buddhist agenda as well. You know, and and things like that, where they kind of add little things, and I think I think Doctor Who has never been overtly um, controversial in some of its opinions, but it does a lot of things very subtly. You know, um, I mean, it, but then it also hammers at home, bludgeons at home, like the Nazis or the Daleks and stuff. So, you know, there's always that element, isn't there? Um, but but just in terms of actual sci-fi, like the Cybermen, I mean, that that's still fantastic and still stands the test of time now, doesn't it? Oh, most certainly. I mean, the whole, th- you know, the whole concept of um, you know a whole race of people just sort of like replacing their body parts, really. Mm. With I mean, as it originally sort of, I think it was in the Tenth Planet book with plastic and metal. You know that that's how it was originally described, and I, it's actually quite a terrifying concept. It is, and and and, I, and the sad thing is, I don't think they've been used um, very well recently in terms of Cybermen. I think I think uh, the last kind of great one oh goodness me uh I, w- I would say probably age of steel w- was pretty good i didn't really like trigger uh from only fools no. <laughs> but uh, i was a bit confusing but uh but in terms of the classic series i think i think uh, we might have discussed this at one point before but Earthshock uh was was obviously a, a classic in terms of sidemen but silver nemesis was 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 interesting you know we'll yeah. Say. <laughs> yeah it was it was actually it's interesting you say about you didn't like um trigger or um I've forgotten the actor's name now, but anyway, um, what what is your sort of opinion? Because that's you. Cause I suppose you could say that sort of like stunt casting, mm. and someone like him um, comes with a lot of baggage because he's well, he's just known as playing Trigger. Yeah, Roger Lloyd Pack, that's his name. Um, yeah. So he comes with that baggage. Now, obviously, in the eighties, um, you had the likes of you know Ken Dodd, <laughs> Richard Briers. Now again, what's what's your sort of stance on that sort of stunt casting? Do you think it it worked, or was it just a, a, a bold experiment that sort of failed spectacularly? I think certain times it it it, it failed, but also you got to think as well. A lot of say American or Canadian or Australian people won't know who some of these people are. Luckily, by the same token, luckily they don't know some of these. <laughs> but GNT's policy was obvious that he wanted to have these people in. You know, the likes of like uh, Faith Brown randomly in episodes and stuff because he knew them through like entertainment and stuff. Mm. And and like Rodney Bews, I mean, a massive Light Lads fan. Yeah. But Rodney Bewes with this with a stud earring in, running around, looking confused, is you know, it, it didn't really he was very, very hammy and ropey in that episode and it just didn't work. So I th- I think certain people I um I'm trying to think uh was it Lawrence the guy who was who played it was in um Resurrection of the Daleks, uh Lytton he played. I'm trying to think of his name. Oh, Morris Colburn. Yeah. Was he famous? Before that, or did he, he went on to do uh, Howard's Way, didn't he? Uh, I'm just trying to think when Howard's Way was. I think he might have gone on to do Howard's Way. Yeah, because that, that was. I remember yeah. as a child, kind of go, uh, getting ready for bed when that was on. So that would be, yeah, would be about late eighties sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but there's certain people like that who who are fine all that. But but when but yeah, Ken Dodd was awful. But by the same token, Nicholas Parsons worked really well. So you know, it it works both ways, I suppose. It does, it does. I think it depends on how they approach the the role. I mean, use Ken Dodd as an example. There, he's he was meant to be a you know a, a bit hammy over the top and everything. And, mm. and the one thing I had forgotten about Delta and the Bannerman um, is that he gets shot in the back. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, that's that's going to traumatise a lot of people seeing Ken Dodd shot in the back. So, <laughs> some some of them were very odd. The decisions in terms of casting. Some of them they got right, but um, I mean, that woman who was in um, Earthshock. Uh, I I didn't I didn't have any knowledge of her. Oh, the, Beryl, Beryl Reid. Yeah, I didn't have any knowledge of her before that, you know. And um, and she seemed. I, I love the story, but she seemed to be a bit of an, a strange choice, to be honest with you. Yes, she was a very odd choice, and apparently she didn't have a clue what was going on, whatsoever, or what the hell she was talking about. So. It's funny you're talking about stunt casting, but I suppose in, in even in the nineties film. Uh, Eric Roberts, who I suppose would be, would be seen as stunt casting the way because he's obviously he's known. I don't know how he gets roles because recently he's been in stuff like um, Batman and stuff like that, you know. And you think, how's Eric Roberts in that? Yeah, I know. You know, I mm. thought it's um, which apparently won rave reviews for for being in um, uh, the Dark Knight, but mm-hmm. um, but now apparently he's he's starring in the next Human Centipede film, so it looks like he's gone right down the, uh, oh, down well. the bottom of the ladder again, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> but even now, I mean, um, obviously we talk a lot about the sort of 80s stuff, but there's a lot of stunt casting now, but a lot of time, I think, um, I mean, the biggest one was obviously Kylie, wasn't it, really? That was the biggest ratings for Doctor Who, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, what sort of, um, I mean, we sort of briefly touched on, the, I mean, obviously um, the stunt casting can annoy people, and you mentioned mm. um, earlier on about when they sort of muck around or update special effects for DVD releases, that would, um, or has annoyed people. Mm. Does it sort of, um, do you find it sort of a constant surprise that the sort of things that people will pick up on and, and whinge about to do with Doctor Who? Yes. I mean, we obviously recently did a podcast we all did. about fandom. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I think some people just need to, to get get a grip, really, because it's... Um, the best ones are the ones where people start saying, well, obviously, is it canon? Was it in the new adventures or was it in the target novelization? That You know, it's like when the Brigadier's daughter came to people were like, well, wasn't that in, in the uh, in the spin-off that was out in 1994 or blah, blah, blah? You know, I mean, I used to I used to buy – that was actually uh, probably related to one of your earlier questions, but I used to buy the kind of BBV and stuff like that, the sort of um, spin-off like Downtime and, and The Stranger and stuff. and. Uh, all that sort of stuff. No, um, I've, I've never dipped my toes into those waters right. at all. But did, I mean, what were they like? They were basically just for me to keep going, really, because <laughs> I obviously wanted more Doctor Who, you know. Um, the 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 um, what they had was was they had a thing called the Stranger. It was basically it was Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant, and they weren't uh, the the Doctor and Perry. They were just these other characters and these very short. Um, films that were quite sci-fi and horror, and then had other ones where it had. Um, I'm trying to think what it was called now. Because um, Mark Gates and stuff was involved in them as well. But there, right, yeah, yeah, there was a couple of them where um, the Airzone solution that was it. It was and it was Colin Baker, Davison, um, and McCoy as well. Wasn't was uh, Pertwee in that one briefly? Yes, he was actually. Yeah, and I think Caroline John might have been in one of them as well around that time as well. So wow. it it was it was all just the stories weren't amazing and they were very very cheap and cheerful. But you know, it, I, I think there was there was some of them had like Mark Gates and some of them had um, Rishi Smith and stuff. I think they were called Probe then. 
Uh, and yeah, so, so stuff like that were kind of just basically just tiding people over whilst reading the new adventures and stuff. Um, so, so the, the, the weren't amazing, but yeah, downtime was, was apparently, um, was, I think that was, um, one with the Yetis in, and then there was another one called Shakedown. Uh, with the Sontorans, I think. Yes, and that's right. Going, yeah, is is that? But was that canon? Because such and such was in there, and they were. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, seriously, it's like them sort of things really don't matter. It's enjoyable to to read these things and all that. But I mean, I've just recently got that book as a gift. You know that new um the the Doctor Who kind of everything you need to know about Doctor oh, Who. Oh, the, uh, the yeah, the whoology thing. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, just, I've just got that myself as a present. So yeah, for nice. Father's Day, it's, it's nice. Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, you do learn some stuff as well, you know, which is always good. But you also think to yourself a lot of time has been taken on this, and you think, do you really need to know the amount of minutes that Colin Baker was on screen and stuff, you know? <laughs> um, but someone will be really interested. But yeah, I, I think I think the the problem is a, a lot of people take things far too seriously and get too bothered about stuff, and when when it you know. Um, I want to to have it where it's kind of it it complements the classic series, and we're not going to go to the point where it's going to go. Know that the Doctor are going to have a million lives and all this sort of thing. I would like to have it, you know, where it actually addresses it and stuff like that. But mm. I'm not going to stop watching it just because I said, "Oh no, he's he's now got 200 lives." You know, the, the, as long as they kind of address stuff, it's fine. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of silly the sort of things people will pick up on and use that as a reason not to watch the show anymore. I don't, mm. I've, mm. It's a constant sort of amazement to me. But obviously. Um, does it sort of surprise you that now we're you know we're in the fiftieth year of Doctor Who? And okay, if you, if you put the nineteen nineties to one side uh, for a moment, that was sort of we, we you know that was the the fallow years as it should be known as. Um, does it sort of surprise you that it has lasted this long, considering it's always been it's always been in trouble with a cancellation, even going back as far as Hartnell. Um, you know, with you know viewing figures, you know it's always been that kind of thing, and there's always been a certain part of the BBC has hated Doctor Who. So does it surprise you that it's still here and it's still going strong? Yeah, I suppose it does because I think I'm I'm one of them sort of classic fans who's always waiting for it to get cancelled. You know, you've always got that kind of mentality thinking, you know, is it going to? When they mentioned the dreaded hiatus word as well, you know, and it's uh, I'm always just thinking that we're lucky to, to be on the television because at the end of the day, it, it's not. It's not a mainstream show in my head. I think it's it's a it's a sci-fi cult show that somehow got mainstream status because Russell T. Davies made it very mainstream and mm. fair play to him, you know, very kind of soap elements and whatnot. But um, so I am surprised. Yeah, I mean, when it went off in the in '89, I, I hoped it would come back. And and uh, and when it when the rumours came that Alan Rickman was going to play him, David Hasselhoff, all them <laughs> sort of things, you know, uh, really thought, oh no, I couldn't deal with that. And then you know, Richard E. Grant did the the um, webcast and stuff, and you think, and you know, come on, and and, and it's so when it finally came back it was it was great but i think it's it's always with dr hill fans i think we, we always got the dvds to fall back on so if something does go awry but i don't think we're, we're ever the most kind of confident in our kind of uh, position fans because we always think something's going to go wrong yeah. someone's going to go no it's it's too sci-fi because I, I think at the moment i think it, it's very much like it was uh, before Russell T. Davies, I think, in the sense of it, it's much more of a sci-fi show that's got cult status. I mean, the ratings aren't on rubbish, but they're not as big as when they had Kylie on and stuff because he's not doing uh, soapy stuff with with stunt casting of one of the biggest pop stars in the world. But 
I could be wrong. The Christmas special might have like Cheryl Cole in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the. I mean that's the thing. It's um, it's now insanely popular, and as you said, it's become mainstream. But is there sort of? I mean, this is sort of a one thing that sort of crops up with a lot of fans. I think this is what some fans um, do get sort of slightly worked up about is the fact that it is too mainstream now. It's not that. It's not the little cult show that. Only sort of uh, a certain group of people would would discuss openly. Um, mm. Do do you feel sort of um, going mainstream as kind of or could ruin the show or has ruined the show at all, or do you think it, it that's its strength now? I think to be honest with you, when it first came back in two thousand five, I found it, it it went mainstream, and I always thought it was like a dirty thing to talk about with people. It was almost kind of like, especially when I was at school, if you ever tried to chat up a girl and you're kind of like, oh, like Doctor Who, it was like, see you later, you know. And it was <laughs> it, it was never going to be that cool thing, you know. Oh, I'm in, I'm in uh, Buffy Vampire Slayer or something like that. That'd be more kind of credible and stuff. But Doctor Who was kind of like, but it's never been on. Why do you like it and stuff? Like that? So when it came out in 2005, there was lots of people who would come up and go, oh, you like Doctor Who, don't you? Yeah, it's it's really good, blah blah. And it was a bit puzzling and. And you found it very strange, and it was like these normal people who who just watch like Coronation Street and EastEnders are starting to get into it now, and it's it feels a bit weird. Um, but now I feel like it's almost kind of not fully, but it's almost kind of gone back on itself in the sense of like it's now it's now a midway point between mainstream uh, total popular thing and kind of the culty thing. So I think I think Moffat's kind of centred it nicely in between, I think, at the moment. I don't know if you think that, but... Yeah, I mean, I think sort of Moffat, it, I think recently it's been a bit hit and miss. There's actually sort of quite an interesting um, thing, actually. What, what what What's your take on Moffat? Do you think it's, you know, do you think it's time for him to go? As well, you know, do you agree with all those people that are saying he's ruined the show, or do you think no, he's he's made the show stronger? Um, I I think I'd, I'd I'd never say it's time to go for anyone because I I wouldn't know who would replace him by the same token. You know, people always say about Gates and stuff like that. Gates has has done the odd good episode, and I love his other work, but really in terms of Doctor Who, I wouldn't say he's been particularly good. So in terms of you've got to have someone who would replace him firstly, but I think, I think Steve Moffat is, is a brilliant writer, but I think he's brilliant when he's working on someone else's show doing something. But if he's, he's, he's basically the guy who he was featuring on, on a pops, a pop, uh, a pop record. But, but when he's actually got his own album, you're a bit like this is a bit full on, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and he's, he's a good singles man, you know. He's, he's he does a really good single, but like when it comes to the album, yeah, he tries uh, to well, he tries to do his concept album. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, he goes yeah. a bit Tangerine Dream on, on it. I <laughs> um, love that analogy. That's good. <laughs> but but it's it's that sort of thing. It's like it, it it's good. Well, I mean, I was thinking, what are my favourite episodes from from kind of the um, the recent sort of history of Doctor Who? And a lot of them come up with Moffat. But in terms of his run uh, with when other people have been writing using his framework. I haven't enjoyed it as much, so so I think some people are good at writing a story, and some people are good at being a showrunner. And Russell T Davies was very good as a showrunner. Uh, some of his stories weren't weren't that good, but in terms of showrunning, you knew, definitely knew what he was doing, didn't he? He did. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You can't um, you can't knock him for that at all. As you say, some of his stories were a bit a bit ropey, but when he wrote a good story, it was a good story. Mm. Mm. You know, um, I think that's something that Moffat has 
Posse not sort of he hasn't really knocked him out of the park with that regard and, until he got to the next, the the, um, the name of the Doctor I think which was a I thought was a, a bit of a return to form. Um, but obviously he's the man who's going to be leading us into the 50th anniversary special. Mm. Um, sort of what do you what do you want out of what do you personally want out of the 50th special and and what you know what don't you want to see in there. Um, oh, it's a tough one because I think what you want, you probably w- would, if it actually did actually happen, you would think, oh, that's really lame because uh, everyone loved the start of the name of the Doctor because he obviously had them kind of badly kind of put in images of ex- of former Doctors and stuff and, and, and everyone loved it because it was mm. very kind of 80s and very cheap and nasty, but it worked. It was very Doctor Who. And I think everyone was like, right, mm, I've, I've ticked that off the list. <laughs> what else, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, but I don't think he's going to be completely servicing the fans. I think he'll he'll probably do the about the whole kind of John Hurt thing, and and there might be odd references to stuff. I mean, the fact that the Zygons in it is is brilliant because I, I I like the Zygons and I would like them back. But it'd be nice to have the odd old companion in, you know, a, a bit of a, a like see what Ace is doing now, see what um, Perry etc. Yeah. But only in sort of cameo roles because I think that sort of thing's gone. I think they would admit that themselves. It's, it's, you know, you, they're not the same people now and, and they wouldn't, the characters wouldn't be the same now. So, and the same as the doctors, you, you, you would be like, well, you know, Colin Baker doesn't look the same. McCoy doesn't look the same. And it would be difficult to, to, um, to understand what's happening and, and like why they look the same as uh, why they look the way they do now. So, um, yeah, so I like a little sprinkling of kind of old companions and stuff like that. But I'm I'm happy if he just does the story he wants to do because it's obviously going to be something that he's he's obviously got well planned and in terms of the time war and stuff. Yeah. Um. And and you know, I've got confidence that he knows what he's doing. And and to be honest with you, I think we'll probably might see the end of Matt Smith in that special. I have a sneaky suspicion. You don't think it's going to be Christmas then? No, I, I, th- I think you know I'm, I'm talking on no knowledge at all. By the same token, this is just this is just Ian's crap theory. But, uh, <laughs> um, but the fact that you know, yeah, he shaved his head, he can grow back. I understand all that, but I think it be, might be interesting if 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 he did say right, he's going to be he's going to be regenerating on Christmas Day, and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be a big ratings hit. But if he just suddenly drops in at the end of the special, and then the Christmas special, you got the new Doctor. That would be equally be a big ratings pull, you know. Oh, it so, would be. yeah, um, yeah. So, so either either way, I think it'll be, you know, because everyone wants to see Joanna Lumley on Christmas Day as a Doctor. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, so we've mentioned sort of RTD bringing back the show and, and Moffat um, coming in as well. So during this time, you started podcasting. Mm. As well, uh, with the Mondas podcast, amongst yep. amongst others, I should say. Um, what sort of led you to start podcasting? Was there something that, that triggered this off, or was it um, you hadn't heard of any other podcast at that time, or was there something particular that thought, you know, I, I wouldn't mind giving that a go as well? Well, the, the origins are where most things amazing start, MySpace. So, <laughs> MySpace, <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. basically, I, I, I started doing um it was when I was in in a in a comedy group, Straightjacket. I, I wanted to do my own thing, so I started doing this. Um, it was almost like you, you would do a, do a blog, but I decided to do um, a, a five minute podcast on MySpace. And obviously, podcasts were 
I think I think really I was inspired by Ricky Gervais, like a lot lot of people at the time. It was like, oh, podcasts, it was all new and fangled at the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been 2007, 2008, somewhere around there okay. when I first yeah. started. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I started doing uh, the Untruths podcast on there. And that was basically kind of me just talking uh, random stuff. And it was all silly. And then I started kind of um, seeing if I could get some guests who, who I knew from comedy. And mm. then, then I started actually get a proper survey and it built up from there so i got bob odenkirk from uh breaking bad and um he's been on various things um and um he's uh he was the first guest and i thought oh i could build this up so what's this like you i started kind of thinking oh, i'll start doing like one a week or something and then you build it up and then um and i've i've done untruths for quite a long time and then i started to do um mondas um to do with doctor who Yep. So what I basically started to do was do some, uh, just me talking like I was having sort of mental breakdown to, <laughs> to, to, a micro, to the microphone. It was just about my thoughts on on um, on the classic series initially. And yep. then I started to get people in, uh, such as kind of like uh, Leeson and Harry from Radio Rassilon and... Yep. Um, and yeah, from there, and like Stephen from Radio Free Score, and it yeah, it's just all built from there. So I think I kind of got into it uh, right when it was starting to take off, where people were starting to have stuff on iTunes and stuff. And I realised it was something that I've, I've I've done bits of radio uh, amateur stuff in the past, so it was always it was always a good um, and it, it's quite a quick and easy kind of thing if you've got an idea. You can get it out there very quickly, can't you? You can. Of- you certainly can. Is there anything sort of left to do for you on the on the po- on the podcast? Is any sort of like is there any sort of ultimate goal? Any guest you really want to get on there, and, and you could you could and after that you could quite easily say, well, I've achieved that. I could quite happily retire tomorrow. Oh, that's a tough one because I've, I've, in terms of Doctor Who, I've had um, people on who I never thought would get on. Like I had uh, Andrew Cartmel on, which was brilliant. You know, I I, I just I just um, I think it was either on Twitter or Facebook. I, I emailed them and somehow managed to get them. So I started talking about the master plan and whatnot. And that was really fun, you know. Mm. Um, but in terms of um, companions, uh, I, I would like to get um, get a companion on. I think I think that would I would definitely kind of uh, retire uh, Mondas if I got someone like Nicola Bryant or um, Sophie Aldred or someone like that, you know. Because yeah. uh, I've I've had people who who have who've been in big finish stuff and who've written stuff blah blah but to actually have someone who was who was a big star from from the series yeah i mean you know i'm i'm sure it's the same with you there's certain people who you would you would i mean someone like uh, um Joe Grant, her name's gone out of my head. Casey Manning. <laughs> Thank you, Katie Manning. you got it. Katie Manning on, I think you would say, right, Paul, it's it's off, we're finished, we've done it now. We've done it, that's it. <laughs> you know, there's certain people who, and by the same token, there might be an absolute disappointment and they might be really half-hearsed and not interested. You can never tell. You know, you, you sometimes you build people up because especially when I've done um, comedy ones, uh, there's certain people who I thought they're going to be absolutely hilarious and they weren't. You know, and then other people who you think, eh, you know, they'll be all right. They were really good value. So, uh, so I think it's um, 
I think I think you can never quite tell, but yeah, definitely someone from from the classic series because uh, and obviously Eccleston as well. You know, I, I'll I'll get him on board. You know, <laughs> I think that'll be, I think that'll be the crown and glory for any Doctor Who podcast actually if, if they got managed to get Eccleston to take part. Definitely, I think the only way you do that is if he's walking along the road in London, just stick an iPhone in front of him and say hello, Mister Eccleston. You go all right, and then you could use it as a loop on it. You know? <laughs> use it as yeah as your jingle or something. That's a damn good idea. Well, Ian, <laughs> thank you very very much for joining us. Thank you Thank so you. much. That was that was uh, um, a great pleasure to have you on. It really was, mate. Thank you very much. I hope we didn't rumble too much. You certainly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance.